Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. So good to be back with you. Uh, and I can say literally, Francis, back with you because I was away last week. You had a guest in studio, I understand, Chris Carter. Yes. Um, how'd that go? Oh, that was wonderful. <laughs> I thought it was great having a conversation with him on uh, the topic of humility, which we're going to continue today. Right. Well, I won't lie to you and tell you that I listened to the program because the truth of the matter is I didn't. Uh, as you know, it's been a challenging week for me and... Uh, yeah, let's keep uh, them in prayer, everybody. Let's yeah. keep Mark in prayer. Appreciate that. Um, and in fact, um, I'm going to allow Francis to complete the program here today uh, because I've got to run out to a, um, a commitment that actually has to do with some of the challenges I faced this past week. But I don't want to go into that. I just want to focus on our conversation today, which is about humility. Again, continuing a theme that we've been running now for a couple of weeks, Francis, as I remember correctly. Um, and uh, worthy of at least three weeks of conversation because it's so important to us if we are going to practice the art of contemplative prayer and we are going to engage our Lord. We need to understand these elements of humility. So this one is actually the, um, the third one in our series uh, under the title Humility, the Bedrock of Prayer and Spiritual Growth. And this conversation is going to focus on what the humble person looks like as well as motives for humility and how you conquer the virtue of humility, obtain it, and then the reward for humility. And if there's time, we'll go into the steps or degrees of humility, which is very good. Well, good. Um, Let's begin, since this is a benefit to our prayer life, as we do each week, with an opening prayer. And if you wouldn't mind leading us, Francis. All right. This is a prayer from Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene in his book, Divine Intimacy. So let's get recollected and let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant that I may know my nothingness, O Lord. For the more I recognize it with simplicity and humility of heart, the more you will take pleasure in being my all. You are all. I am nothing. You, he who is, and I, he who is not. Glorify yourself then in my nothingness. May your love and grace triumph in this nothing. But may your mercy also triumph For I am a nothing which has sinned. I have sinned, Lord. Have mercy on me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, you've asked this question as sort of a a precursor, I guess, to our conversation here, Francis. And it's uh, uh, one, I think the answer, unfortunately, is going to be fairly easy to to arrive at. And that is, when's the last time you had a (laughs) conversation about humility outside of Carmelite conversations? And you raise the point, how many people think humility today is important? How many people hear this word um, and think of, unfortunately, someone who's weak or, um, you know, um, uh, uh, downtrodden or all these sort of negative (laughs) aspects of humility? It is misunderstood. We've talked about that. Uh, We, you and I talked about it in our first conversation, that these are not representative of a spiritual understanding of humility. It's important that we understand that. And it's best, I think, to do that by looking at, as you've indicated, uh, what does the person of humility 
look like? How does it manifest itself? Certainly Christ was a person of humility, and we can look to him first. Uh, but there are others and, and other attributes associated with humility uh, that we need to uh, be able to understand if we're going to understand how this fits in the context of our prayer life. So we hope from this conversation that we're going to share with you that um, you are learning how courageous and strong the humble person it really is. And then we'll also endeavor to practice it daily along with us. I left a spiritual challenge last week about trying daily to do acts of humility, one a day to start, and then, you know, increase them. And I'm sure you'll get plenty more ideas from our conversation today. Well, humility, of course, is a moral virtue. Um, It's not necessarily greater than the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity, sometimes expressed as love, Uh, nor, for that matter, the cardinal virtues, justice, prudence, temperance, and fortitude. But it does embrace all of these virtues. In fact, it's the foundation, as Francis said in the title of the program, it's the bedrock of prayer and our spiritual growth. I mentioned in the beginning, St. Teresa of Avila teaches us that humility is the foundation and it is also the fruit of authentic prayer. If we are to pray effectively, we must practice humility. We must understand humility. And a consequence of effective prayer is our continued growth in humility. And humility leads us to a deeper dependence, trust, and confidence in God. Indeed, growth in humility is one of the sure signs that we really are praying well, that we're having an encounter with God, that we grow in this virtue of humility. It's an affirmation that we are moving down the right path, not, as um, we said before, a path of negativity or, um, you know, the doormat model that Francis raised. But in fact, we are deepening our relationship with God because we come to understand how we are when we stand before God. And while we talk about this, let's remember the scripture passage from Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, which is, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest yourself. So we know Jesus is the perfect model of humility. And if we want to find peace and rest, um, we imitate his meekness and humility. Because, you know, truly humble souls, they know and acknowledge that they are made in the image and likeness of God. And they're precious in his sight. Yet, at the same time, we know we are sinners and that without God, we are nothing. In fact, we're less than nothing. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a tough message. You know, we've said it, um, I think we joked, you and I, Francis, in the first conversation we had about this in the letter you'd sent me one time, you know, you're God's little nothing. And I went, (laughs) oh my. (laughs) And of course, what you were trying to do was give me a blessing. It is when we come to realize that we are God's little nothing before him, um, that we begin to acquire the real strength, the real peace, the real joy that is part of the spiritual journey. And that is that which God imparts to us when we don't confuse it with anything that we ourselves may have brought to the relationship. Plus, Mark, I have to say, I was reading about St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, who calls herself a little nothing. <laughs> so it's like just, you know, uniting with her, right? <laughs> well, I'm happy to stand in those circles. Uh, I'm not sure I'm worthy of it, but uh, uh, certainly she's a great model of this. And I know we're going to talk 
um, at some stage about her uh, practice of humility. Uh, but before we get there, we're uh, our old friend, Father Mark O'Keefe, who um, has written a couple of really great books in a new in the book, Carmelite too. tradition. He he's actually a Benedictine himself, but he went to Spain and studied actually okay. a number of years. He acquired the language, and then he went back and did some work at the. Uh, um, Avila Institute for uh, Carmelite Spirituality. And uh, one of the fruits of that endeavor was this book, The Way of Transformation. And on page 119 of that book, a relatively new book, as you pointed out, he says very well that we are so wonderfully created um, that, we feel, are, yeah. that we are, that we are, should yeah. fill us with a humble, uh, a, a humbleness uh, and, and a sense of awe at what we have received. That we are sinners standing always before the truth of God should fill us with a constant sense of our need for God's mercy and his help. You know, this is not a bad place to be in a sense of need, in a sense of dependence, in a sense of reliance on God. Uh, Father O'Keefe is telling us this is a good place to be. Later on page 126, he goes on and says, Truly humble persons know they must trust and abandon themselves to God. And in their surrender to God's mercy, they find true courage and and strength. Well, and of course, St. Teresa of Avila tells us in one of her letters that God is a friend of courageous souls if they walk in humility and without trusting in self. And, you know, in her book, Interior Castle, she even refers to humility as the doorway, which opens up the soul to God's love, forgiveness, mercy, and healing. And I think as we speak about humility today, you know, we'll understand about that doorway even more so. So you want to lead into here now, what does a humble soul really look like? And I found this wonderful list, and it was found in um, Father Otilio, how do you say it? Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, he's a Carmelite friar. Um, he wrote the book, The Teresian Gospel. And that's, it's not a new book, it's an old book. Um, I found it on the UK uh, site uh, with the Carmelite books there. Um, And he's got this list. And basically, uh, he took quotations of St. Teresa and then came up with this list of characteristics of a humble soul. And so I I just want to challenge you as, as Mark and I go through the list that, you know, examine your own conscience uh, examine your heart and and see how you need to grow. See if you can answer in the affirmative on these or if there's something that's saying, yeah, I need to do better on this. And um, I, I just think it, it's a nice synopsis of what a humble soul looks like. Well, so we'll go through um, each of the 15 rather rather briskly. But uh, again, as Francis has indicated, um, try to put yourself in the position of this description of the humble person. And uh, for, for each of us, let's see how we stock up. Um, first of all, it says he, and of course you could substitute she, as Francis will when she yeah. reads. <laughs> <laughs> he never loses sight of what he is. In other words, obviously what he is before God. This means that we must always keep in mind who we are that in reality, we are absolutely nothing. Since everything we have, and we must accept this, listeners, everything we have comes from God. 
Of right. course, that's from uh, Matthew 4, 2. No, no, that's the mansions. Oh, the, I'm he, sorry, mansions. He's got a different You've way of... Yeah, yeah, we don't even have to go through all of um, all those references because they're basically the, the main writings of Teresa Vavla. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was surprised by that. I was like, what is, what is 7M for? <laughs> ah. So I just put that so that if somebody asked me where I got this from, I would know where I found it <laughs> um, or where he found it. Um, so M stands for mansions. Okay. So when you guys get that book and you see that list, you'll know that. Of course, he has it in the front in the index. Uh, the second point is uh, the humble soul accepts God's gifts thankfully as undeserved. He humbly acknowledges what God has given and does not look upon any gifts he may have as his own. And like Therese, a little flower, you know, she was like, one moment you have the gift and the next moment you don't. So, uh we realize that they come from God in the moment that they come and we brace them, we offer them. Some of them last longer and others, uh, seem are, are, are gone quicker than they're even there hardly. So, uh, but all good gifts come from Father, from the God, from heaven. So, uh, a, a humble soul recognizes that. Well, thirdly, the, the humble soul is always pleased with the place and the office which our Lord has given him or where he has positioned him. That's a tough one. I mean, that means that we accept all of the things that might come to us. You know, so many of the great saints were given very humble responsibilities, very humiliating in some cases responsibilities, and yet they accepted them as the place where God wanted them to be. How did they know that this is where God wanted them to be? Because they asked every day in prayer that the Lord would lead them in the fulfillment of his will. And if we pray that, then we do accept that every day God is putting us where he wants us to be. The next characteristic is the humble soul places little confidence in himself. Of course, we know St. Teresa, little flower in her little way, uh, talks a lot about confidence, but not in self. And confidence must be in God. That's the right place to put confidence. And building on that, this humble soul, I'm going to say she now, forgets herself and thinks instead about the Lord who has given her everything, very consistent with the previous one about confidence. The Lord has provided everything, and so the soul thinks very little of herself. She always flees from whatever praise may come to him. You know, uh, saints have this way of like when praise comes, you know, they see that as a danger. (laughs) You know, if they take it into themselves and take credit for it, um, you know, then that is the pride and then they're going to regress. So uh, they quickly try to offer that praise right up to the Lord. They're not trying to deny the praise, you know, Um, they're just putting praise where it's due. So directly offering that back up to the Lord, putting the attention on God, not on self. And if you don't mind, Francis, I'll couple the next three because they really all say fairly uh, similar things. And that is, this soul wishes to be held in little regard, um, has little ambition for themselves or high office or recognition of any kind, and ultimately is not concerned about honor or dishonor, whichever may come their way. Um, This is not the measure of their relationship with the Lord. If they're dishonored, that may well be what the Lord has um, has asked them to endure. And so they don't measure things by the worldly criteria that we so often use to determine whether we're making progress in this life. Yeah, I was thinking just the other day, if if you're the president, um, you know, are you going to go out and pick up a piece of garbage off of the company land? <laughs> 
Probably not, but a humble soul would do that. Um, and, you know, there are many humble leaders and, and presidents. So I'm not saying just because you're a president, you're not humble. I'm just giving that as an example. But Teresa Vavala speaks a great deal about honor and in people in her time were very conscientious of whether they had pure blood or mixed blood, of whether they were schooled or not, what degree of, in the clerical state they were, and there was a great deal of fuss about that, and there was a great deal of upset if you offended somebody by calling them the wrong thing. And so she even writes that about that a lot in her letters. But, you know, we we get those other little things in our own lives, like, you know, they're asking me to do that? Well, I... I you know, that's beneath my dignity, you know. So, you know, we have to really take a look at this. These are opportunities for us to grow in humility. The next point is the humble soul never looks at the faults or sins of others, only at their own. You know, this is a very basic, important rule for religious and for us. Otherwise, when we judge others, we are taking on duty that belongs to God alone. Well, and this soul is also very cautious about the virtues others praise in them uh, for fear that they may give themselves credit for them. This is consistent with what we said just a moment ago. Um, We are always on the lookout for a praise that is showered upon us because it may actually draw us into a temptation where we become very comfortable with our own, um, you know, uh, sense of self. And that's a dangerous place for a saint to be. So a humble person uh, always looks, uh, uh, you know, somewhat with a jaundiced eye at praise that may be heaped upon them. The humble soul is always eager to seek advice from others. And you can think about that in the the business world. You know, when they listen to the people down under, <laughs> they, they benefit a lot. I, I, I'm thinking about those shows on TV that you watch about, you know, the boss that goes incognito and he learns all of the things about the workers down under. And, um, and I just think that that is just amazing that they do that. But, but the humble soul, always, they do want other people's advice, especially their own confessors, since God's put them there for the purpose of enlightening them. You know, the proud soul thinks that they know it all and they don't need your opinion <laughs> so go away you know? well here's another very important one and one that um, I think many of us would struggle coming to terms with if we were forced to answer this um, you know regarding our own behavior are we really uh, of this uh, you know mature spiritual level is that this soul is always at peace and calm in the face of misdeeds or miseries their own misdeeds or miseries. And that's what's important on this particular point, Francis, is the very fact that we should never become discouraged by our own shortcomings. In fact, it is often the case that the Lord allows us to fail and fall in the midst of his efforts to purify us so that we understand where our dependence on him still needs some work. If we, on the other hand, become irritated or depressed when we find ourselves falling short, we may be more discouraged about the the fact that we are not in control of our own spiritual journey. And of course, that's the case. We are not. We are constantly reminded of our dependence on God. And as I say, this is the occasion where he may allow us uh, to experience our own shortcomings so that we increase our, our, our confidence in him, our dependence on him, and obviously our humility in seeking his 
uh, mercy and his grace to overcome those faults. Okay, I'm going to go on to the next point, but I, I do want to apologize. We had a little bit of audio problem in there, so we might have repeated ourselves or we might have missed something because we're not sure when we lost our little audio connection. So I apologize for that, but we're back, and so we're going to continue. Um, the next two points, when accused or despised or persecuted, all three, tough Tough to deal with, accused, despised, or de- persecuted. The soul is ready to believe that others are right. Um, give them the benefit of the doubt. It's like, well, you're right. I am that way. Um, and Teresa Vavla would say, even if you um, were accused falsely, that there were plenty of times that you were uh uh, like that, that weren't caught. So, you know, uh, she just goes ahead and accepts the uh, accusation and moves on. Now, the only time you would defend yourself, of course, is if it was critical, uh, very important point in somebody else's uh, welfare is at hand, that kind of thing. Uh, so, but the humble soul is like, yeah, I am that way. And, or I, I might not be that at this moment, but yeah, I have been like that before. And, you know, this is an opportunity to grow. So great opportunity. Uh, the final point is the humble soul is always happy and joyful in the face of the Lord. And this is the reason is because they have peace, because they are dependent on God and they're trusting in God. And they know all good gifts come from God and everything that is messed up is because of their own <laughs> ingenuity. <laughs> so um, this is a, a reward of humility is this joy, joy in the Lord. Well, those are good descriptions, as we indicated, of a truly humble soul. It's a a tough test, I guess, to evaluate ourselves against, but worthy to see how we think we stack up uh, in uh, the way that uh, Teresa uh, would hold us accountable to the practice of the virtue of humility. But it's also good to see this played out in the life and the writings of a of a genuine saint. And of course, in this case, uh, I mentioned earlier, we'd speak about St. Mary of Jesus crucified, somebody who we've done a, a, a series on, and I would encourage you to go listen to that. She's a remarkable a woman and a remarkable saint uh, who was just canonized this past year. But um, w- what will help us then to grow in this humility, the, the motivation we're looking for, uh, can be found both in the life and in the writings uh, of St. Mary of Jesus crucified. So we're going to continue the conversation by looking at some of what she has to say quotes, if you will, from the thoughts of Blessed Mary of Jesus crucified uh, to give us some insight into her thinking about this gift of humility. So she tells us one motive for for humility that she gives us centers on the theme of God as the author of every gift. Of course, we've alluded to that when we covered those points. In one of her ecstasies, she heard a voice say, and she would often say she heard a voice uh, instead of designating whether it was the Father or the Blessed Mother or Jesus, but uh, she had many ecstasies, and and they were recorded for her uh, or for us, for our benefit. Um, And this is what she said. Um, she heard, look at the root crops. They grow under the surface of the soil, invisible to the human eye. Look at the rose tree, on the other hand, which is displayed for all to see. Its buds open up into beautiful roses, which fill with fragrance all who approach them. This perfume is not for the rose tree, but for others. The rose tree has nothing for itself but the wood and the thorns. She's relating that. That's how we relate to ourselves as the wood and the thorns. In the same way, 
This is the voice continuing. I choose certain souls for my glory. The exterior gifts they receive from me are not for themselves, but for others. These souls keep nothing for themselves but suffering, like the thorns of the rose tree. But after they have suffered so much, they will be like the rose that opens. They will pour forth my fragrance and will spread out and bloom in heaven. Look at the wheat. Its grain is thrown into the ground. It rots, dies, and then rises. The blade breaks the surface and grows higher. The ear forms at the top of the stem by my power. And those who see it, <clears throat> excuse me, admire the providence and goodness of God. Neither the wheat nor the rose grows by itself. They need the soil to nourish them, the sun's heat, and the rain to make them grow. And here's the important point. In the same way, a soul cannot by itself do anything for God. It is God who works and grows in it to the degree that the soul yields, becomes insignificant, and loses itself in God. So people who uh, garden, uh, farmers, and uh, those who are close to the earth uh, will understand this beautifully um, but I think it's something we can all relate to, you know, how do we see us, our own self as this wheat, this grain that's thrown into the ground underneath the soil in order to blossom or the rose tree, um, and the gifts, this perfume of the rose tree, those are the gifts. So the, the gifts that God gives us, they're not for ourselves, but they're to be radiated out to others to help others. Now, Mark is having to take off right now, so I'm going to continue along here. I hope you'll bear with me and say a prayer for me. But we're going to go with another motive for humility, and that is our very nothingness. Um, St. Mary of Jesus Crucified, she often called herself the little nothing. I mean, frequently. that She saw herself as that. Um, and she had this to say about our nothingness. She said, I know full well that God has drawn us from nothing. The very thought that I am nothing makes me shudder. When I contemplate my nothingness and how pride refuses to serve the Lord, oh, I feel so sad that I am unable to do more for him who created me. How sad I am when I see my pride. I mean, because sin takes us lower than nothing, right? Nothing doesn't have any good or any ill. It's sin that takes us lower than nothingness. So um, we could even say less than nothing, right? Well, a third motive for humility is to look at the sin of pride. And here's what St. Mary of Jesus crucified thought. She said, I saw that pride is the source of all sin. So she's saying that, like that's the root sin. I saw that pride is the source of all sin and humility, the source and foundation of all virtues. And that's what we've been talking about in this series. Uh, humility um, is a moral virtue, but uh, so it, it doesn't, uh, it's not more important than uh, the theological virtues and the cardinal virtues. However, it compiles all of them and it affects all of them. So without humility, um, all the rest of them crumble. You have to have that bedrock of humility. She goes on to say, pride destroyed the most beautiful angel. He fell because of his sin of pride. 
If he had humbled himself, if he had attributed to God all he was, he would have even still become more beautiful. Pride made a demon of him. If Adam and Eve had humbled themselves after having sinned, God would have pardoned them. Judas himself would have obtained pardon had he humbled himself. And then you can think about the repentant thief there um, alongside Jesus being crucified. You know, he, he gained heaven. He stole heaven by being repentant there at the last moment of his life and asking the Lord to remember him. So this is the beauty of humility. It is pride that brings about our downfall. Through pride, the will of man revolts against God. That's a pretty harsh thing. She continues, the humble soul becomes light and lives in the truth. He reaches up towards God and God bends low towards this humble soul. Humility opens a path to the practice of the other virtues. I said many things to Jesus, which I am not able to repeat. I saw that there was pride in everything I did. I begged Jesus to give me humility, and I made a resolution to practice this virtue on all occasions. We can join her with that, right? Oh, how much I desire humility, the contempt of creatures. God is ready to pardon a sinner who humbles himself. He looks with more love on a soul who returns to him in humility than on a faithful soul who finds pleasure in its virtues. And I'm thinking of the scripture of the prodigal son here. The proud person, the latter, risk losing itself by pride whereas the sinner obtains mercy by humbling himself. So that is something that has a lot in there for, for us to consider, um, how humility is, it, it, you know, anytime we're uh, challenged with the, a prideful thought or that comes across our plate, you know, practice acts of humility right then and there. The humility is what we need. And we're going to have opportunities to practice this because, um, you know, the evil one wants us to be proud. He doesn't want us to depend on God and be confident in God. He wants us to think ourselves self-sufficient. You know, just get sick and see how self-sufficient you are or get a broken foot. See how self-sufficient you are, right? Well, what does this conquest of humility look like? How might we conquer our natural and sinful inclinations so as to grow in humility? Now, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, um, but I wanted to bring forth the examples that St. Mary of Jesus crucified gives us. And there are four of them that I would like to ponder here. The first example is the example of Jesus. And she says, think of how Jesus is still being born in caves. Now ponder that. What does she mean there? She said, I ask the Most High, where do you dwell? He answers, each day I have a new dwelling, a new birth in a cave, in a lowly abode. I'm happy in a lowly soul, in a crib. I keep asking Jesus where he dwells. In a cave, he answers. Do you know how I have crushed the enemy? By being born so low. And when you think that the divine, infinite God comes and becomes incarnate, that was really 
stepping down, wasn't it? And yet it was to raise us up. What a gift. Here's the next example. How does one conquer humility through temptations? Well, St. Mary of Jesus Crucified gives this example. When you are faithful and are able to do some things for God, Satan will come to make you believe that you are of great worth. Yeah, that you do everything well and that you are holy. Then you will be attempted to abandon everything for fear of falling into pride. Satan would like to prevent you from doing good, from working to attain perfection, from accomplishing any generous act for God through this temptation. Do not listen to him. Work. Time is short. So that's kind of a backwards kind of temptation, you know, to try to uh, get you to stop doing good works because you're afraid you'll, you'll grow in pride. Well, you just got to keep acknowledging it's God's working in you and you're just the little instrument. And hopefully um, we will be open and uh, respond favorably to his call and do his will. You know, that's the important thing to do God's will. The third point. How might we gain humility? Well, how might we gain humility through our faults? Well, Mary of Jesus Crucified shared this. There are many saints who have been sanctified by their pride. Now think of that. Sanctified by your pride. How is that? She says, because they worked all their lives to fight against it. And to do the opposite to what pride inspired them. So, you know, they're flexing their spiritual muscles here. When pride urged them to go forward, they went back. When they were tempted, <clears throat> excuse me, to elevate themselves, they abased themselves. If they were tempted to open their eyes, they closed them. Or, so to speak, they refrained. Everything comes from pride. But it is a good thing to have a fault to combat. It is a great grace. So I bet you you haven't thought about that in a long time, right? Uh, think about your biggest fault and how that is a grace because you have to keep fighting it, right? Um, I know, wasn't it the story of St. Um, uh, let's see, was it St. Thomas Aquinas that had the temper? I can't remember, but I think, think it was. And he always had to fight his temper, this particular saint. Uh, but what a beautiful uh, action it was to constantly have to work on that. That kept him humble because he could see it clearly. So look at your biggest fault and now see it in the frame of a grace, a grace that will keep you humble. Well, now how does contempt lead to humility? In prayer, St. Mary Jesus crucified received these words. She said, it is good to be despised, to be nothing. It is good to endure sadness on earth in order to be glorified in heaven. Every soul who seeks contempt on earth will have joy in heaven. You will not always be despised, O soul. You will not always suffer and be poor. Trials are not meant to last forever. Look out, therefore, for occasions to humble yourself. If you are reproached with having done all sorts of evil, say thank you. I challenge you to do that. If you're challenged, reproached um, for having done all sorts of evil, say thank you. Mm. She continues, on earth all things pass. You will not stay here forever. 
Collect and harvest merits each day. Each time you are despised, mortified, or your will is opposed, rejoice. All that is good for heaven. That's good material, right? Uh, To help you grow, grow in humility. She continues, let people talk. Remain in your humiliation. Rejoice when you are despised. Rejoice because you are under the mantle of the Lord. But when you are esteemed and honored, then weep tears of blood, for the enemy will come and attempt to abduct you. Let your heart thrill for joy if you are despised. What will it serve you if everyone honors you? And then the enemy comes to snatch you for himself. Thieves do not kidnap the poor, but those who are rich. So that is a lot to ponder there. One more point then here. Uh, that she gives us is models of humility. Now, in the past weeks, we've talked about, of course, Jesus and Mary and the saints. Um, This is something that Mary of Jesus crucified said that she received from St. Veronica during one of her ecstasies, that St. Veronica gave her four practices of humility. They were images that would help you to grow in humility. And the four images are of grain of wheat, an olive, bees, and trees. And so I'm going to go over those four um, models of humility. The proud man is like a grain of wheat thrown into water. It enlarges and swells. Expose the grains to the sun or to the fire, and it shrivels and burns. The humble man is like the grain of wheat sown in the earth. It goes down and hides itself. It disappears and dies but only to grow green again in heaven. I like that. And anytime we talk about going under the ground, I'm thinking, you know, uh, humble comes from the word humus, which means the dust. And from dust we were made, and to dust we shall return, right? The second model of humility was the olives. When you harvest olives, you pluck them with the greatest care. Those that fall to the ground are also gathered for extraction of their oil. With the same care, you must seek every occasion to practice humility. Oil gives light. Humility has the light of God. It helps us see God. You know, all, only the pure of heart see God. And you can't be pure of heart if you're not humble, right? All right, the next one is the bees. Consider the bees. They fly about from flower to flower, and then they go to the hive to make up the honey. Imitate them. Collect the juice of humility from everywhere. Honey is sweet. Humility has the flavor of God. It makes us taste God. I remember the song, Taste and See the Goodness of the Lord. Yes, humility will do that. The final one is about trees. Work every day to acquire humility. When you forget to water newly planted trees, they die. When you forget the daily practice of humility, the tree of your soul will dry up. And we don't want that happening, right? So we must practice acts of humility. 
Okay, well, we need to know what's the rewards of hum- humility. Teresa would always say we need to know the goal that that we're aiming for to encourage us to, to travel the journey. Um, and so St. Mary of Jesus Crucified gives us some of the rewards of humility, the first one being the pardon of faults. She says God pardons all the faults of a soul who is humble. And we see that again on the repentant thief. Two, fertility. The earth in the lower ground draws to itself all the water from the mountains that fertilizes it. So in that fertility, there is, there is growth and there is multiplication, and, and that is good. The third one is security. Fear nothing, little flock. The day of the Lord will come like the noonday sun. Walk underground. Fear nothing, little flock. The master of thunderbolts shall be your shelter. Little flock, fear nothing. Be little, be nothing. Neither thunder nor rain nor mountains can touch the Lord's chosen ones. So when you're humble, you're secure in the Lord. You know he's got your back. He knows, you know he's got your um you in mind and has great plans for you and that he is with you. Safety is another um, reward. Be little, little, like the earthworm. If you are there under the soil and someone walks above, you're not touched. You're not injured. But if you appear on top of the soil, you will be crushed. Okay? So we want to be hidden under that soil so we're not crushed. Happiness is uh, a reward of humility. A humble soul is happy to be despised, to be nothing. She's not attached to anything and is never irritated with anybody. A humble soul is happy, joyful always, and everywhere satisfied. She considers herself blessed, and the Lord is ever present in her heart. A humble person has joy in this world and in the next. And the final reward, of course, the next, the glory of heaven, right? Where we all want to go straight to heaven. Those who accept insults and affronts are preparing diamonds for their crown. For their crown. In hell, there are all kinds of virtues, but no humility. In heaven, there are all kinds of faults, but no pride. Let me say that again, because that's really a good one. In hell, there are all kinds of virtues, but no humility. In heaven, there are all kinds of faults, but no pride. So here's what we've talked about thus far. The characteristics of an authentically humble soul. Motivations to grow in humility. How we conquer sin through humility. Models of humility. And then the rewards of humility. So that leads to this next question. How might we start growing in humility today? And, and the answer is step by step. We take the next right step. And I have to share with you this list from St. Bernard of Clairvaux. He gives us a list of 12 steps of humility. And there's also 12 descending steps of pride. It comes from a book called The Steps of Humility and Pride by Bernard of Clairvaux, the saint, the famous saint. Um, and, and it's really beautiful. So I, I want to, I want to go over this 12 steps of humility. The first step of humility is in the fear of God to be constantly on the watch against sin. And I hope you are all, we all are doing that. Number two, the next step to greater humility, not to love one's own will. How often do we want our own way? Or 
our choice of the favorite piece of pie, um, and so much more, you know. Number three, to submit to superiors in all obedience. And, of course, in the world, we have bosses, we have spouses, husbands, wives, um, people that are over us, um, in Carmel, of course, we have the president and the council who are the acting authority over the community. So um, we all have opportunities to submit to superiors in obedience, even though we're in the world. The next degree of humility, getting deeper here to a, to a more pure humility, to hold fast to patience amidst hard and rough things for the sake of obedience. To hold to patience amidst hard and rough things for the sake of obedience. Okay, the next one is to confess one's sins. So that's important, and we highly recommend going to monthly confession to the rite of reconciliation. I, I know many who are aspiring to grow spiritually and go weekly, which is awesome. The next degree is to confess and to believe that one is unworthy and useless for anything. And and that's not to say that you don't accomplish anything. It's just that everything you accomplish is because of God's gifts working in you. The next degree, to believe and admit that one is less than others. And when we really ponder that, we can even say that, you know, I, I may have all these gifts. I'm recognizing the gifts of God. And that's humility, too, because we don't want to say, no, we don't have those gifts and then offend God. You know, so we we say, yes, I'm I do have these gifts. But how am I less than others when I recognize these gifts in me? Well, because how well have I used those gifts? Maybe if somebody else had the gift that I have, they would have done a lot more and accomplished far more than I have. So uh, we can see how we can be less than others here. The eighth one is to keep to the common rule of the monastery. And I'm going to run through the rest of them. Nine, to keep silent till one is questioned. Ten, to be over ready to laugh. Eleven, that a monk should speak few and reasonable words and with a moderate voice. And twelve, always to show the humility in one's heart and one's bearing, keeping the eyes lowered. So the book actually will go into those and also to the 12 steps of descending pride. So I recommend uh, looking into it. Uh, There's also a book called Humble Pie, St. Benedict's Ladder of Humility by Carol Bonomo. St. Benedict's Ladder of Humility. And, you know, you can just uh, do a search on your computers and get the list. Uh, But, you know, having an explanation for them is really good, too. And I'm talking about books. There's one on humility called Humility Wellspring of Virtue by Dietrich von Hildebrand. I recommend that. And then the Theresian Gospel by Otilio Rodriguez that we referred to earlier in the program. So I hope you've enjoyed that. Um, You know, we grow in humility step by step, by degrees over time, focusing on one degree at a time while aiming for the next. And then always trying to practice them with great care and diligence and intense energy. St. Teresa would tell us with a determined determination, one that does not give up. Increase your acts of humility month by month, then week by week, then day by day. Keep your eyes on the prize, which is being with Jesus. 
Examine your conscience daily and make resolutions to do better. You know, Cassian, who's one of the famous desert fathers, tells us what we need to do to conquest any virtue. And he says, use every means possible to win the battle. Fasting, better acts of virtue, meditations, constant prayers and tears to God, monthly and annual retreats, frequent reception of the sacraments, working with a spiritual director or confessor, having a devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus, to the Blessed Virgin Mary, to Joseph, the angels, and the saints. And we've heard those so many times. We just got to put them into practice and do that step by step. And soon, as you take step by step, it will be like Jacob's ladder. You know, we'll finally reach heaven by the grace of God. But we got to put forth our effort. I hope this conversation will highly motivate you to work on growing in the virtue of humility. Because humility purifies the heart. And only the pure of heart shall see God. Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene, who wrote Divine Intimacy, encourages us with these words. He says, let us humble ourselves sincerely and with confidence, and humility will supply for all our miseries. It will heal all our wounds because it will attract divine mercy to them. So our humility um, is something that we need to continue to work on, rooting out pride. So I have a closing prayer, and this is from St. Mary Magdalene de Pazzi that was found in the book Divine Intimacy by Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene. And I think she, um, her prayer is a beautiful prayer for us to ponder and to make our own. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, cure me of my pride. Make my heart humble. Infuse a little of your profound humility into my soul. Since you know me better than I know myself, how could I, with my proud will, make my heart humble? A poor man cannot give wealth to himself, nor can a proud man give humility to his heart. Only your infinite goodness can heal pride. This is the remedy to fix my gaze on you, incarnate word hanging on the cross. As soon as you see a humble soul looking at you in this way, you're quickly moved to look at it. And the effect of your divine glance is like that of a ray of sunshine on the earth. It warms it and prepares it to bring forth fruit. This is the way you act, O divine word, who by the light of your glance drain my soul of all its pride and consume it in your fire. No one can acquire humility if he does not fix his gaze on you, O word, on the cross. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining Mark and I here on Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. Next week, we're going to have a special guest. Jennifer Kane is a Carmelite. He'll be talking to us about Catholic apps. And Tim Beat, who is a, a wonderful uh, geek uh, techno uh, uh, expert on all of that. And they're going to join me in a conversation about Catholic apps and how we can use them to help us grow in our prayer life and in many other ways. So I uh, thank you again for joining us. And I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, God bless you.